We hear the stories all the time. Man gets 20 to life for deadly assault or women sentenced to 10 years for drug trafficking. More men and women are being sent to jail or prison every day, and even more are simply sitting in jails to await their trials. Why are there so many people behind bars? And what really goes on behind those iron doors? Better yet, what happens when the people get out? The only way to know is to go straight to the source. This is Justice Uncovered. Welcome to the final installment of the Traumas and Triumphs interview. In this episode, Carlos finishes telling of his experiences behind bars as well as how life has been since his release. You may just feel a little more hopeful after hearing this one. That's my prayer, at least. Oh, I learned how to ask for help because it's like in, in the county jail, you are not gaining muscle. The food is very scant. I was there for, I think, 16 months trying to, quote, fuck my case and not get 33 years. Oof. That required me being like, hey, I'm hungry, which I wasn't really comfortable vocalizing really ever in my life. <laughs> Eventually, I was like, hey, like, mom, I'm, I'm hungry. We began talking again in earnest a little bit prior to this event. We hadn't talked since she left the state, kicked me out. Mm-hmm. A few months prior to all of this, we began kind of like actually talking. Mm-hmm. Asked her for food money. Asked my friends for books. Asked for underwear. Asked for all the things you just don't have. Creature comforts, as they call them. They call them privileges, actually. They consider clean underwear <laughs> a privilege. Oh, gosh. Yeah. The laundry schedule was just completely absurd. Like, you, you'd you have to wash your underwear, your socks, T-shirts, and so forth in the sink with the bar of soap. But the bar of soap is, like, incredibly ineffectual. So you're talking about washing your, your undergarments daily, if not twice a day, and sweating through them in the summer with no... It, it was It was wild. But it was good because it's made me stronger, like physically stronger and giving me a greater sense of resolve. Mm-hmm. And that's a quad argued, but <laughs> you survive. Right. Other formative thing. Lots of things. You got to think I was, I was in my 20s. Those are some pretty formative years. Right. To a degree, I learned like I could be true to myself. I think that's the thing I'm still learning, obviously. But people will tell you you're skinny, you're light skinned, you talk properly. And you're nice, like you're not going to do too well in this environment. Mm -hmm. And you begin believing them. You're like, all right, well, I got to be ugly, gruff, get a tan, and just not care, I guess. That's a lie. That's not true. Mm -hmm. I think you do have to have some social grace. I would not presume to have gotten through this all without too many bruises and bumps on my own. I would say that (laughs) my mom's baptism and my prayers... (laughs) And just God's will were massively helpful. But right. that was a war, I think, thinking that, like, the way I was, it didn't start in prison, obviously. That was kind of the thing before prison. Like, right. being the way I am makes me in it. I can't survive in the in the world if I'm just me. Mm-hmm. And then also, like, just because you're in prison doesn't mean that you don't, you don't want to, like, socialize. You're, like, you don't want to, like, have fun social events. So, like, that kind of means putting yourself out there sometimes. I guess I kind of learned to dispel the idea that I had to put something extra on it. I had to put on fronts. It doesn't mean that I didn't do it. I did it for years, but I was able to see like I didn't really have to. Right. I don't know how to say this. I guess romantic interest from female staff members was, it was helpful. 
because you get to a point where you're like you begin rationalizing that you don't need intimacy like i don't mean sex i mean like intimacy from somebody with the opposite gender because you can't have it you begin rationalizing it as like a a bad thing maybe even or like a reason why you were incarcerated mm-hmm. and it's not true it was very useful i would think to just kind of keep my humanity intact to make me a human not a robot to, to talk you know, although it was against the rules to talk to people mm-hmm. and to flirt and to like just be validated i think as a as a male as opposed to as a commodity that was being shipped around from prison to prison also keep in mind like i was incarcerated for an event that happened while i was dating someone so a huge fear of mine became i will never date again because as soon as i reveal not only that i am someone with the past with a record it was against someone i was dating you're done you're out hmm. so it was useful to speak to women who knew what i was in for and who were still in some cases interested in dating in other cases just interested in talking to me and not reviling me mm-hmm. that was good a negative is that and i'm still grappling with this one it kind of piggybacks off the the idea of being me and being inept. It was like, I began hiding, I think, the things I valued most. I had a discussion with a guy before I went in. <laughs> He's like, what's your biggest concern? You're about to do eight years, man. You got to address your fears now. Hmm. I'm like, that's, that's a good idea. And I was like, I guess that I'll be different for the worse. Like, I won't grow like I've been growing my whole life. I'll become corrupted. And he was like, ah, oh, no, that doesn't make any sense. Hmm. And I was like, really? <laughs> he's like nah and i was like all right so i think some days went by and i was like hey i gotta ask you something he's like yeah i'm like let's say you put a human being in a cat's body right for 10 years it was a human soul you put in a cat's body now it has cat functions you don't think after it comes out of the cat's body it's going to retain some catness he's like yeah absolutely and i was like that's what prison is i'm going to be in prison having to behave a certain way around certain people and i'm going to get out And it's going to be like, hey, I don't want the filth of incarceration to linger on me, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And he was like, oh, okay, I see what you're saying. I don't think he said anything. It was just one of those things where it's like, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. Right. I was wrong in thinking that, but it took me, I think, until like maybe a couple months ago to realize that I was wrong in thinking that. The tendency then is to stow away within you very deeply the things that you don't want touched, the things you don't want corrupted. You don't even think about them, except when you're by yourself going to sleep. It's very much like a, you make a memento of certain experiences and certain desires, such as to keep them pure. Like you want to keep your you, whatever you think your you is, you want to keep it kind of stowed away somewhere. Mm-hmm. I think when I became Catholic, I became Catholic halfway into my incarceration. I then became embarrassed, right? I was already thinking my you, my me, my essence, so to speak, was very prone to corruption or being influenced negatively only bringing it out when I thought it was safe, so to speak, right? Kind of mm-hmm. pretending and then being me when I thought I could be me. Right. And then you become Catholic and then, you know, there's a sexual abuse scandal of the of the decades prior to 2002. Right. In an incarcerated life, a lot of people who were professing Christianity had done heinous things to people, often sexually. Hmm. So there's a stigma in, incarcer- in incarcerated life. And there are a few other stigmas that were attached to it, and I was afraid of being associated with them. I thought I was already kind of inept. I didn't need anything else to like kind of make me stick out. Mm-hmm. So I simultaneously wanted to affirm that I was Catholic and then hide. Right. That was distressing. I said a couple months ago, honestly, like in the last few weeks, I've been kind of addressing that, unpacking that, that I had very readily tucked away my obligations to the faith 
to be Catholic and to be thoroughly Catholic behind some ideas of fear, pride, and a strange sense of shame. That's one of the more negative experiences that I had, mm-hmm. but it's been useful to, I guess, get a handle on it. And in getting a handle on it, I'm able to be a lot more authentic and a lot less like directionless, I think. Right. I know that you've been touched on this a little bit in terms of how your mindset changed. These are some of the experiences that shifted how you view life. In a more general sense, I will say, do you believe that incarceration has changed you for better or worse? And if so, how? I don't really know. I used to always say no. Then I began saying, hell yeah. (laughs) And then I was like, I might be too fresh. I don't know. As you can probably pick up on, I have a tendency to just like really focus on my actions Mm-hmm. and saying like, okay, I did something. That's why I'm different. And then to some degree, others did certain things and that's influenced me. I think I have a fear, right? Like I think we, the people who've been through that, we have a fear. And then our friends and family, the people closest to us. Right. There's like kind of this unmentioned fear that like we have been changed by prison and not for the best. Like you wouldn't assume for the best. <laughs> right. It's not, the, it's not the military. Like you wouldn't just be like, oh, okay, he's better now. So I think like that's a fear. And to some degree, I haven't really addressed it it's easier to address specific instances and actions and how I responded to them than it is to say I am emphatically better or worse because of my time spent in a box. Right. I guess if I just do some like quick thinking, I think it intensifies certain extreme beliefs that you have very easily. I don't know how readily that happens. I think life out here is kind of, life is never sparse, but there's a sense of concentration and intensity that accompanies prison you're heightened. You're dealing with the reality that at any point in time, something you've done could have offended somebody and they could have just waiting for a time to attack you. Mm -hmm. And I was a mouthy 20 year old. So like that was real. And I already had fears of ineptness in my environment. So I think because of its distinction from life out here and, and the pressures of life out here, it would probably be unwise of me to say that I wasn't to some degree impacted or changed. I don't think it means like permanently, but yeah, I think there certainly were some adaptions for the better and for the worse. If I had to do this, if I had to say pre and post Catholicism, I would say prison is for sure going to make you worse based on my experience of it pre Catholicism. And I would say post Catholicism, it can make you better. Uh, Your ability to accept suffering, which is obviously pretty big in my religion, but I don't think it's just ideological shift. I think it is a reality shift. I'm not doing this as a theory. This is like my life. As radical as that may sound, yeah, I would say prison without religion, without Catholicism, is an exercise in, I think, torture, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) But that has its merits, I suppose. If you survive, yeah, you do. You are, quote, more fortitudinous. You know, you are able to deal with certain things other people have not been through. You can say affirmatively, yes, I have been through that, and I can still say I chose the good. Mm -hmm. and that has its merits on the other end it's a forced strength right it's not something that you elect it it's you having being forced to adapt and that's like trauma i've been to several therapists i'm very interested in my mental health Mm -hmm. my instance of just being incarcerated for the length of time automatically qualifies me for ptsd it's not even a matter of diagnosis like i have to be floating on clouds for them to consider that i'm not traumatized 
Right. I guess from that perspective, yeah, there's some degree of science suggesting that you are traumatized by it. I'm not saying that goes away with faith. I just think that like with anything, you're able to bear it a lot better to engage it meaningfully. Right. I, I didn't mean to cheat from giving an answer. I just think it is kind of like it's contextual. Yeah, I definitely understand. And like you said, you, well, how long have you been home? I've been home. I used to have this like days and weeks down. I stopped counting. Let's just say eight, eight and a half months. Okay. So as you were saying, because you have been home for less than a year, you're still relatively fresh. So it's a little difficult yeah. to completely yeah. <laughs> discern how you've been changed for better or for worse because the length of time hasn't been that extensive. It's understandable for you to kind of break it down in the way that you did. So I definitely appreciate you being willing to share that. That's something that not everybody would be willing to, I'll say divulge or maybe just break down in the way that you did. So I appreciate your perspective on it. Not a problem. Getting into the fact that you're home for the past eight and a half months, how has your experience been in uh, the time of your release? It's been, it's been intense. Disclaimer, I'm an intense person <laughs> in general. Okay. And I'm attracted to intense things. Fair. Even all that said, yeah, it's been intense. It's been a lot of activity, a lot of experience. It's been awesome. It's been awesome. I'm broke as a joke. We'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> I live with, I call them family. They call me family. I'm just distinguishing this for like records purposes, like they're friends. Right. And in fact, it's the family that took me in all those years ago. They've remained with me. And it's time for my black ass to get a job and get out of there. They can actually <laughs> pay the bills. But yeah, they, they are basically like boarding me. I don't make enough money at this point to uh actually i had three roommates i could afford rent hmm. yeah i received social aid social assistance programs i am economically living far below the poverty line i have had an opportunity to graduate from a tech cohort though teaching like technician skills as an a plus course between general time mismanagement seeking to do everything at once because you're free and also and probably more importantly not really addressing myself at a point in there you're about to get out and you're like okay what do i need to do in life right which is pretty intense to do at 27 years old saying like how should i spend the rest of my life and what steps should i make as soon as i get out this is being done without like a lot of contemporary research love my family and friends they did not do a good job of just looking at the things i asked them to look up trying to plan my life and my opening steps mm -hmm. i think it's because they had their own idea of what was best for me and they just figured I would do it, what was best for me in their mind. Right. Part of it is just like, yeah, you're asking people that you don't really speak that often with to do things that involve like possibly hours of Googling. You're kind of shooting in the dark. I settled on technology because technology, I was told, was not a bar to people who have backgrounds. And it was high paying and it was easy if you were smart. And I was like, oh, this is perfect. Right. So I got in a tech cohort. I was shooting for a coding boot camp. They are not federally backed. So I had to pretty much have the money, which I did not. I was directed toward a resource 
Ohio means jobs, and they put me in line with a tech cohort for CompTIA+. When you're telling yourself what's best for you, as opposed to like, especially in my own faith, where it's like you're supposed to ask God for his will in your life and your vocation and et cetera, a whole bunch of things. Mm-hmm. I think that to some degree sets you up for failure. I was able to see a variety of my weaknesses and my failings in the past and certain of my inclinations. Mm-hmm. I saw myself as kind of lazy and like I needed to kind of stay motivated at all times. I had to stay active to do anything kind of thinking. Mm-hmm. I saw my emotions as a crutch. So I began looking at myself again, began telling myself like, okay, well, God will just fix everything for me. I was afraid to kind of get involved in the nuances of God and how that happens, and why I was this way in the first place, and how do I assist myself out of these habits? I just engaged in, I think, some degree of magical thinking. Mm-hmm. And then I was, I think, prompted pretty strongly to like go be a monk and a priest. When you get out, though, you see a whole world. You're like, wait a minute, I want to explore this world real quick. Right. I don't have time for that. <laughs> I just left the prison. Right. But, I mean, your heart's your heart, and a prompting is a prompting. So, ultimately, you know that deep down, that has called to you. The right. idea of being with God all the time calls to you. Right. An unfortunate reality is that people really aren't there for you to the degree that you want them to be there for you. They can't be in the prison with you. Mm-hmm. They give us various channels to communicate with our friends and family, but like it costs money. They're kind of awkward and they're just not like a part of a person's daily life. It's easy to engage in the idea that like the only person who loves you all the time and the way you want is God. Mm-hmm. When you're Catholic, you have an option. You can go be a priest or a monk or a nun. You can give your life over to him completely. That became, I think, a combination of things for me, a solace maybe a fantasy and maybe an authentic calling. But I wanted to show the world that I wasn't inept. I wanted to show people that I had a plan that I could execute. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do something not just for myself, but I, I would say for everybody who's been incarcerated because we weren't monsters and we weren't idiots. And telling myself all these things as opposed to asking, as opposed to praying, as opposed to receiving direction and the pressure of realizing that like, yeah, I'm going to live with friends. I can't live with them forever. I have to have a plan. I made a plan and it involved like not addressing myself as I was and trying to make myself a Superman. Mm. I had like a mental call it a breakdown. Yeah. Like a mental breakdown. Yeah. I returned a bit to that suicidal ideation to the point where I was like afraid of being alone. Fortunately, my other sister was in town and she just stayed with me all night. The next day I was just like, I just felt so bad. I just came out of my room, sat and just told the family like, Hey, look, I, I had a rough night yesterday. This happened, and I thought I was done with this. I haven't had it in eight years, and it came back roaring. That opened me up to more serious ideas in my therapy and possible medication. Mm-hmm. And I spent time I just kind of trying to like get a handle on like those things I was trying to repress in my experience or just form into what, the way I wanted them to be formed. So intense is how it's been. But I'd say good. I look at all these things kind of unearthing things within me that need to be fixed for me to like contribute to society meaningfully, to be myself, to give God his due and what I want to give him and just like be actualized. I really, really, really insist on that. I, I, I kind of see it as thematically happening even. Like I see this motif of enthusiasm and experience, lots of activity and it just opening things up in me and for me to just heal because I was afraid of that. I was afraid of doing this in prison because I thought it would make me weak and vulnerable. I held on to hostility and aggression in case I needed it. Right. 
I don't fear that anymore. I'm not fearing what happens when you cry. <laughs> yeah, I cried once in my incarceration, which is not healthy. <laughs> uh, I cry multiple times a week now, <laughs> which might not be healthy. <laughs> well, when you come from an environment like that, it's very much understandable to be going to this extreme from that extreme. It's you can understand. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, so I guess that's that's the economics are kind of hard to avoid. As great as my experience is, I'm broke. So like, it's great, but there's a degree of life, I think, in just being able to support yourself. Like that's, <laughs> I'm 28, you know? Right. But yeah, I remain hopeful. I'm able to like do a variety of things. I just got into a, an IT program. I have productive interviews lined up. I have a promise of employment from an owner of a company that pays like double what I make now, which would be quite a bit. So yeah, I mean, things seem to be seem to be good economically or at least able to be good and everything else I would say is awesome superb even that's really good I'm happy for you thank you thank you thank you of course your experience just covers everything (laughs) (laughs) wow I'm just I'm left in awe by your story your experience how you're handling it now because you're not afraid to address it now, something that you've had to kind of repress and hide for so long. You're working through them and trying to deconstruct what it all was and how you can grow from it. The fact that you're even doing that, it's, it's phenomenal. There are people who have never been to prison and they still don't do that. So <laughs> the fact that you, oh, wow. yeah. the fact that you yeah. are doing it, it's really, really commendable. I appreciate that, Tony. Thank you. You're welcome. Big man upstairs, though. (laughs) He and our lady, they got me. They got me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I want to say thank you. Thank you so much for being willing to share your story, being willing to talk with me and just tell of your experience, because this has been truly eye-opening. It's been awe-inspiring and it's hopeful because things are now starting to look up because you're in a place where now you're getting yourself together and you're not letting your past define you and you're not letting it break you you're going farther from that you're progressing from that and it's really amazing so I thank you for even being willing to share this with me I thank you I appreciate the kind words I appreciate the commendation I look forward to your future success. Although your role has been passive in this session for the sake of me being more active and voicing things, I truly, truly commend your efforts on this front. It's funny what the difficult times can teach you, as well as how experiences early on in life can shape you for better or worse. As you've heard in the past three episodes, Carlos faced trauma, instability, and rejection from a young age, and out of that pain, he made some wrong choices that landed him in prison. Sounds a lot like rock bottom. However, some encounters he had while incarcerated opened his eyes to understand that he didn't have to let his pain drive him. He had to deal with it. Since his release, he has taken strides to unpack and address his struggles and grow from them into a better man as opposed to letting them define him. Now, eight months later, things are starting to look up. His story shows that pain isn't an excuse to do wrong, yet one can find redemption by dealing with it and determining to do better. 
all goes back to mindset. He still faces hurdles due to his background. The stigma behind incarceration is still there. Yet his experience shows what can happen when you give a former offender the opportunity to do better. They deserve a chance, especially if they're working every day to do right by society. Let's give them that chance.